Thanks, Ian. Well, good morning. So there's many things that I appreciate uh, about Ian. He's a very talented young man, but more importantly uh, is his heart uh, for Jesus. Every time that I am around him, I'm challenged and encouraged uh, by how he walks with Jesus. And I uh, just want to let you know, he stepped in uh, last minute to have to do the community notes. It was, go- excuse me, was going to be um, our pastor over prayer and healing, Jacqueline um, Furness, but her son had a uh, sledding accident, so she uh, is with him. So um, for those of you who know James, please pray for him. And in fact, I want to just take a, a minute right now and uh, and pray for them. So Father, um, you you know, James, you know the situation. We, we pray uh, for healing uh, over him and uh, wisdom for the doctors on how to treat that and uh, comfort for Tom and Jacqueline and, and their whole family. Um, Thank you that you are the God who brings healing and you're near to us at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so uh, again, please be praying for them. If uh, if you know Jacqueline, want to just send her a note of encouragement. I'm sure she'd appreciate that. Also, one other thing to know about Ian, Saturday is his birthday. So be sure to wish him a happy birthday. Nobody knows exactly how old he is. He's either in his 20s or his 30s. We're not quite sure. Uh, his, students, his students don't know, so we're not going to tell them. Uh, when I was in college, I got to spend a summer in Colorado Springs, Colorado, at uh, the Navigators National Headquarters, their, specifically their conference center, uh, which is known as Glen Erie, or more affectionately, the Glen. And if you're not familiar with the Navigators, they're a, actually an international ministry and missions organization, um, primarily known for their work that they do on, on college campuses. So where uh, my wife and I went to college was a, a navigator ministry. And so I got to work at the conference center um, during the week, and we, we'd have the weekends off, do a lot of Bible study, um, hearing from different teachers, and it was a, a really impactful summer for me. And one Saturday morning, my team and I sat down with a guy named Jim Downing. I had no idea who Jim was. Uh, at the time that we met, he was 87 years old. He was a World War II vet. He was actually at Pearl Harbor uh, when Pearl Harbor was, was attacked, um, is, a, is a war hero for the things that he did in terms of saving people's lives uh, during that day. And he was a part of the Navigators from the beginning, I only remember really a few things from this conversation that I had with Jim, but what's chiseled into my memory is that he is a man who walked with God. That just being around him, there was joy, humility, and lightness about him that's unique. This man had a childlike faith that comes only from years of entrusting every part of his life to his heavenly father. I, on that morning, encountered a man who had had many meaningful encounters with God over the years. What we all need is an encounter with God. When we encounter God, he changes us. 
as Ian mentioned during our, our community notes, the theme of the prayer room this year is encounter. And it's also going to be our sermon series during that time. So starting today and for the next five weeks after this, we're going to look at six people in the Bible who had encounters with, with God. And these encounters will be informative for us of what an encounter with God looks like. Now, it's important that we don't think of these encounters as archetypes. So don't think of having a Moses encounter or a Solomon encounter or an, an Elijah encounter. Though we're looking at these individuals to have some categories for the various ways that we can encounter God. We're really not going through them in any special order, just canonical order, meaning if you started in Genesis and read straight through, this is the order that you would come across these stories. So again, these are going to offer us a frame of reference for what encounter can look like and then how it got walked out afterwards. The definition of an encounter that, that we're using is, is when we become uniquely aware of God's presence with us and around us that changes us and how we live. Let me read that again. An encounter with God is when we become uniquely aware of his presence with us and around us that changes us and how we live. So an encounter with God is when we're aware of his presence and that changes us. If you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. If you've got a physical copy, you're not exactly sure what that is, go to the beginning and turn right. It's the second book of the Bible. Now, to better understand this, this passage, I want to talk a little bit about where we are in this story because there's some elements that really wouldn't make sense if you're not familiar with the story. So we're going to read about a man named Moses. Moses was an ethnic Hebrew, part of the nation of Israel, who at the time of this story, they've been enslaved to Egypt. And the reason they're enslaved to Egypt is because about 400 years earlier, there was a famine in the land. If you're interested in that story, it's in Genesis 41 to 50. Now, Exodus is a crucial book in the Bible. In fact, many Jewish scholars see the, the whole book of Genesis as really just an introduction to Exodus. That's how important they see Exodus to be. Now, when Moses was born, the Pharaoh, the king of, of Egypt, wanted to kill the baby boys who were born as a way of eliminating Israel. But the Hebrew midwives refused to obey the Pharaoh. When Moses was born, his mother hid him for as long as was possible, and when it was no longer safe, she put him in a basket and put this basket in the Nile River and floated it down the river. Now, it just so happened, the daughter of Pharaoh was out bathing in the, in the Nile River. She found the basket, saw that there was a baby inside, and, and took him home and raised him as her own. That was Moses. And as an adult, Moses was out walking around, and he saw an Egyptian man beating an Israelite. And so looking around and seeing that nobody else was there, Moses killed this Egyptian and, and buried him. Now, he ended up being found out, and, and 
he had to run away because Pharaoh was furious that Moses had killed an Egyptian. He ran to a land called Midian. As he's living in Midian, he's working as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And he has an, at this time, he has an encounter with the Lord. So let, read along with me in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he, was, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said to him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that you are a God who meets us where we are. Thank you that you met Moses where he was, that you will meet each one of us where we are. I pray that not only just this morning, but over the prayer room over these next 40 days. Father, the the things that we have to know about you and to learn about and encounter with you, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive that? In Jesus' name, amen. So the number one thing I want us to remember from this morning is that an encounter with the Lord requires noticing. Encounters oftentimes start with noticing something different within us or around us. There's a change in our internal or external environment, and we're able to detect that change. Noticing the change is a necessary part of an encounter with the Lord. So again, an encounter with the Lord requires noticing. Now, in order to notice, we have to be quiet. We see that from verses 1 and 2. Again, Moses is out in the wilderness leading, leading the sheep. And he comes uh, and he sees a, a bush that's on fire. And he stares in amazement. Now, I've never been a shepherd. I have a dog. I have some ch- chickens. I've been around various types of animals. One thing I know, they make a lot of noise, but they don't talk. If they do start talking, you're in trouble. But Moses had a lot of time with these sheep and nobody to talk to. He's probably out by himself for a couple of days. He's got no dialogue with any other person. The introverts are like, that's amazing. The extroverts, this is brutal. He leads the sheep to a a mountain called Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. It's the same mountain, has different names. So if you come across either either one when you read, it's talking about the same place. Now God says, tells Moses he's he's gonna lead Israel back to this mountain, and this is the place where God gives Israel the Ten Commandments. Legend also has it that this is where uh, Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac before. God stopped him. Now, we're not sure why it's a bush that's on fire. Different commentators had different ideas. So I think what we're to conclude is it doesn't matter. Right? What matters is that Moses is able to notice what's going on. He's quiet enough to realize that there's this strange phenomenon happening around him. Now, our lives get so busy and noisy that it's easy to miss what God's doing. Now, I don't think we'll miss the really important things that God wants to speak to us about because we have a loving Father who will keep trying to get our attention. But if we're not quiet, it can take longer for us to start picking up on some of those messages. 
I've mentioned him before, but Dallas Willard has been so influential in my understanding of who God is and how he wants to interact with us and how we can order our lives to best participate with what God's doing. And in his first book, which is now titled Hearing God, he argues that God wants to have a conversational relationship with each and every one of us, one of regular communication. And it was in that book that he drew my attention to Matthew 12, verses 18 to 21, which is actually quoting Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. I encourage you to write that down and go look at it later. But Matthew writes, again, quoting Isaiah, Look at my servant, whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will will proclaim justice to the nations. Now listen to this. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put, a, put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. So friends, if we're looking for God to raise his voice above the noise of life and the world, we're looking for the wrong thing. That's not God's mode of operation. In fact, I would argue that's the enemy's. The enemy likes to yell at us. Our father doesn't. Right? Our loving God talks to us lovingly, gently, sometimes firmly, but I don't think it's too far to say he never yells. When I was in college, um, two of my roommates, my spring semester, um, the weekend before our finals, decided to go spend the weekend uh, at the house of one of the guys who, who lived on our floor. And as they were coming back to campus, they got in a serious car accident. Now, fortunately, everybody survived, but they all sustained some uh, pretty significant injuries. And uh, one of the guys named uh, Brad, and, and the next year, Brad and I were roommates again, and we were talking about that accident. And I said, do you ever think about your accident? And he said, all the time. And he had a big scar on his hand. So he said, every time I see my hand, I remember that accident. Now, Brad wasn't walking with Jesus at that time. And I said, do you think God's trying to say anything, trying to get your attention? And he hemmed and hawed a little bit. And I said, what are you looking for? Because I want God to yell at me. Now, Brad grew up in a Christian family, going to church, actually went to a Christian high school, but he didn't know God's character. He didn't know that's how God speaks to us to try to get our attention. Now, fortunately, Brad has since given his life to Jesus and is orienting his life around King Jesus. But 20 years ago, he wasn't willing to be quiet to notice God. So again, an encounter with the Lord requires noticing. So we have to be quiet. And when we notice, we have to be curious. We get that from verses 3 and 4. I'll just read them again. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, 
God called out to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. So to summarize, this is what's happening. Moses notices that a bush is on fire and it's not burning up, so he gets curious and he goes for a closer look. There's a change in his external environment. And when the Lord sees that Moses is coming closer, that's when the Lord calls out to him. So Moses isn't going along and hears, Moses, Moses, and he looks around and sees this burning bush. Now God waits until Moses notices the burning bush, comes closer to investigate what's going on, and that's when God speaks to him. So in addition to being quiet, to hear and have an encounter with the Lord, we have to be curious when we notice a change. We have to ask the Lord, what's happening? What's different? If we don't get curious, we may miss what's happening. Right? Moses could have looked over, saw a bush that's on fire, isn't burning up, and said, hmm, that's interesting, and kept going. But he took the time to be curious. Right? Instead, he was his curiosity about this unknown phenomenon leads to an encounter with the Lord. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying we only get one shot at an encounter with the Lord, so don't miss it. What I am saying, again, it's easy to miss when the Lord's speaking to us or trying to get our attention. This morning, we're we're focusing on the importance of noticing any changes around us or, or within us. So being quiet helps us to notice those changes, and being curious about those changes can lead to an encounter with the Lord. So this curiosity leads to Moses hearing the Lord say, Moses, Moses. It's not because Moses was hard of hearing that he had to have his name repeated or or wasn't sure who he was. To repeat somebody's name in this culture is a term of endearment. It happens several times in the Bible. What we can get from this is before Moses really knew the Lord, the Lord had affection for Moses. Moses' encounter was to hear the Lord call him by name and then hear the Lord's name later in this passage. To know somebody's name is connected with knowing their character. It's the idea of really intimate knowledge. So the Lord's telling Moses, I know you and I want you to know me. So again, an encounter with the Lord requires noticing. We have to be quiet. We have to be curious. And then after we notice, we have to obey. It's from verses 5 to 15. I'm not going to read those again. Just summarize those. So this is not just for Moses' sake that he's having this amazing encounter. It's actually for an assignment 
and for a greater purpose. The purpose, the greater purpose that that the Lord had for Moses was to enter into this intimate relationship with the Lord. The assignment was to go confront the world superpower and lead God's people out of slavery into the promised land. Really just basic everyday stuff. So in in these verses 5 to 15, Moses is confronted with God's holiness, his compassion, his faithfulness, his justice, and as I said, his name or his essence. This is a big encounter because there's going to be a big ask. Moses had to know that God had called him because he was going to have opposition. It seemed like everywhere Moses turned, he had opposition. First it was from Pharaoh. Then it was from his fellow Israelites. Then from some extended family. And then finally, even his own brother and sister opposed him at one point. Moses had to know that God was with him. So when we have an encounter with the Lord... Are we prepared for the ask? Are we willing to do whatever he asks us to do? It may not be an action. Moses had an action. For us, it may not be. Maybe there's a lie we've got to stop believing and a truth to to believe in its place. Maybe there's an attitude that we need to change. Those may not seem as big as as being asked to do something, but oftentimes it can be harder because it requires changing our mindset. And sometimes these attitudes or lies that we believe are ways of protecting ourselves. I would argue that this encounter that Moses had with the Lord wasn't completed until Moses obeyed. Right? Again, our, our encounters are for intimacy with God, and for some assignment that he's going to give to us. Now, in those verses, 5 to 15, the Lord had to reassure Moses multiple times in that conversation, but Moses had to walk out what he was called to do. For some of us, maybe the word obedience feels heavy-handed, like it's you have to do it, obey or else. But when God calls us to obey, it's a get to. Not something we have to do, we get to do it. Any step of obedience is for our benefit. Now, we we'll probably be, be it probably will be a challenge. But anything that, that God calls us to do is for our benefit. He will never harm us. It's imperative that we have a healthy understanding of obedience. This is not God simply exerting his authority over us, but forming us to be the people that we're created to be. Faith is demonstrated in obedience. It's saying we, we trust God in his way and his way in spite of what our eyes see. Obedience is just is, is faith walked out. 
So imagine, put yourself in Moses' shoes for a minute. You have to go to the most powerful man in the world and say to him, it's time to give up your free labor. That's a step of faith. Moses knew he could have been killed for, for doing that, for having the audacity to confront the king. He could have been killed for just showing up in, in Egypt. I don't think they decided to forgive him murdering that Egyptian. But this step of faith had a multi-generational and literally a world-changing impact. Now, Moses would go on to have even greater encounters with the Lord because of his obedience here. Now, the reason for us to obey is because there's no such thing as a small obedience or small disobedience. Any step of obedience is an important step towards something else. Earlier this week, I had a phone call uh, with a friend of mine named Jordan. And Jordan and his family, they live out in Oregon. We were just catching up. We saw them over the summer, but kind of catching up a little bit. And I was asking him um, how work was going. And uh, he said, well, I'm I'm no longer with the company. I knew that was his plan. He, he sort of was working on his exit strategy. Um, and I, I said, was that, was that the plan? And he said, no, it happened sooner than anticipated. So a little, a little background. Jordan is married. He has six kids. Um, and a little over a year ago, they bought a restaurant uh, in addition, in, that he runs in addition um, to working this other full-time job because when you're married and you have kids um, and you work full-time, you have an abundance of time and money. So why not, you know, buy a restaurant? Jordan's actually a very healthy person. He's not a workaholic. It fits into their family vision, but it was, it was a lot. So anyway, he said, tell me what happened. So early August, three nights in a row, he has three really vivid dreams. He 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 told me, he goes, I don't dream. If I do, I barely remember them. He said, but I remembered like every detail of these dreams. In each dream, there was a call to action. He said, one of the dreams, we felt like we were supposed to give a gift to somebody. Another dream, we felt like we were supposed to make a purchase. But there was still something else bigger that they knew they were supposed to do. So he and his wife were, were talking about this, processing it. And uh, a couple nights later, about as he's falling asleep, he just prays silently, Lord, give me, give me one more dream. Give me one more dream. Unbeknownst to him, his wife prayed the same thing. And that night he had a really disturbing dream where he's doing something he never would have thought he would ever do. And he, he said in the midst of this, he's trying to justify his actions and finally, he's gathered at like a family reunion, and he's about to be exposed. What, this action is going to be exposed before everybody. And he wakes up, and his heart's racing. And he prays, God, what are, you, what are you saying? What does this mean? And immediately what pops into his head is, you've left your first love. Now, that's something you want to hear if it's true, but you never want to hear it. 
So he then asks, how have I left my first love? What he gets back is, you're trusting your job for your provision. So that morning, calls his boss and says, I need to quit. But I, you guys have been good to me. I need to do it well. Help me do it well. So they said, stay on till the end of the year. So we worked through the end of, of last year. And so this year, he's running a restaurant with very little experience during a pandemic in a, in a county where indoor seating isn't allowed. Yet, January this year was better than the January they had last year. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. And I'm trusting that he's going to be tested in the future because God loves him too much. The point isn't the result of the obedience. The point is the obedience. So after we notice, we have to obey. Now, when we read Scripture, it continually points us to Jesus. And I want to do that briefly here from this passage. As, as Moses encounters the I am, what we remember, we need to remember, is that Jesus is the great I am who knew the Father intimately and was known by the Father that we might know him and be known by him. Jesus, as he went through his life, perfectly noticed what the Father was doing. He had a regular practice to quiet himself to be able to hear from the Father. We see times in Jesus' life and ministry that he was curious to press into what he was hearing and noticing. And then he did whatever the Father told him to do, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. His life, death, and resurrection made it possible for us to experience this type of relationship with the Father, one of regular interaction and partnering. So if the band could come back up. So this morning, I have some questions for you. If you desire an encounter with God, what is the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart? Do you need to take time to be quiet before the Lord? Are you able to hear his voice in the midst of the noise? Because again, God's not going to shout over it. So do we have times of being quiet? Ways that we can hear in the midst of the noise. Do you need to get more curious about what you're noticing? Instead of just noticing some things and, and moving on, do you need to stop and reflect? Kind of press into what those internal or external changes are and ask what that's about. Is there something that the Lord has asked you to do that you haven't done yet?
a thing that maybe you've been putting off for one reason or another? Are you willing to do whatever he asks? Now, I don't want us to take that question lightly. That's an important question. Am I willing to do whatever he asks? Those who are uh, on the ministry team, if you could come forward, we're going to go into our, our ministry time. Any, any ministry team members who are here, if you could come forward, that'd be great. So this morning, if one of those three areas, maybe being quiet, maybe taking time to be curious or to obey whatever God's calling you to do. If there's something there and you want somebody to come pray for you, come, come to any, any of these teams up here. I also want to share a couple of things I received uh, from some people uh, during this week. Um, one from my friend Dale who just had a dream and it was about the idea of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. So oftentimes the enemy likes to remind us of, of the old man. And so maybe you need prayer to know that that's been put away, been put on Jesus, or maybe there's an area in your life that you need to be more intentional with the new man. I got an email from uh, Nancy. I've shared some of her um, emails in the past, but she said, I saw our sanctuary and in each seat was lit one, was one lit birthday candle. I heard the scripture, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I feel some in the body have lost or are losing their joy. I felt the single lit birthday candle represents each person's first spiritual birthday in Christ, which often is a time of childlike wonder and hope in the Lord. I think of the scriptures that talk about becoming like children again, having the faith of a child, etc. I feel some in the body have taken on yokes that are not from the Lord which is causing them to lose their joy, their childlike faith in Christ. And then she had from Psalm 51, 10 to 13, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. So if any of that resonates for you, please come forward to one of our ministry teams. They'd love to pray for you. If you have any other needs, physical, emotional, spiritual, they would, they would love to to pray for you. So we'll just take some time to be able to do that now.